Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast, recorded Friday, December the 9th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about the early days of Governor-elect Sarah Huckabee Sanders, donor donor drama at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts, and maybe other odds and ends. I'm joined again by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So uh, this was uh, a a somewhat significant week for Governor-elect Sarah Sanders. She uh, has, uh, after last week announcing some senior members of her team, she started filling out her cabinet and uh, so far has announced her picks to lead state police. And uh, the biggest, I think, is to lead the, uh, I don't even know what it's called now, but it's it's Parks and Tourism and Heritage. Right. Well, her first announcement, I, I, when I was asked about it, when she had a news release announced uh, uh, her first appointment, I figured it'd be something in her outlined three areas of emphasis, education, crime, and taxes. And I didn't expect her to replace the DFNA director just yet anyway. And that's not really a position that has any effect on taxes. That's a legislative priority. And so that left education and, uh, and crime. And I, I don't know if Johnny Key will last in education or not, but she went with crime and uh, talked about how crime is out of control, especially in the cities, which is, you know what that's a substitute for, big, bad, mean, Little Rock. And uh, she appointed uh, Mike Hager to be uh, the combined job of Secretary of Public Safety and Director of the State Police, which, by the way, that was one thing I, I think she did the right thing on. It, it ACE's transformation into these cabinet secretaries created a new superstructure of of a bureaucracy that I don't think has really produced much by way of efficiency. And I think that, and it created a tremendous amount of tension between the public safety director and state police. So that she did that right. She appointed a 30 year veteran of the state police troop eight commander, Mike Hagar, and the bill Bryant was uh, planning to retire at the end of this year anyway. And he was a, 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 a Hutchinson man through and through. So in terms of a signal about any policy direction, I don't think, it particularly signaled very much. I suspect that the new director will roll back some some uh, policies that that Brian put in place to state police on on vehicle chases and a couple of other things. But we'll wait and see those develop. Uh, more significant, although perhaps not in, in the great policy scheme of things, although it's a giant agency with a huge budget, and that was his decision to boot. Uh, our old, fri- our old friend, Stacy Hurst. Stacy, I'm sorry, Stacy Hurst in the Parks, Tourism, and Heritage Department. And I, I'm told fairly reliably on background that this is another place where we perhaps ought to give some grudging uh, compliment to uh, the incoming governor, Sarah Sanders. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that we're not particularly a fan of Stacey Hurst. We, uh, she targeted us for punishment because we oppose her in some election contests. She lost, uh, particularly against Clark Tucker back in the race for, for legislature, but she was not very well liked by a lot of people. Uh, she caused a lot of turmoil in the department and was written up several times for the unhappiness she caused in the department. A uh, toxic culture was how uh, uh, 
historian describe what she'd done to the history element of that department. And I was told fairly reliably that, uh, number one, that she wanted to stay on, that she liked the position and that she would have even taken perhaps a demotion to being head of heritage again. But that uh, the incoming governor or people went over around and asked around in the department about what they thought about uh, Stacy's leadership. And they said, oh, Jesus, she's terrible. Get rid of her. And she did. She said the obligatory nice things about her, but I mean, when you're thrown out of your job and replaced with somebody who, while a well-known name in, in the parks and recreation circles, Mike Mills, the founder of the Buffalo Outdoor Center, I don't think he has much experience in government or, or the major bureaucracies that you have to tussle with at that agency. And it'll be interesting to see how active a director he is or whether there'll be some key staff people who will do a lot of the a lot of the scut work and running that department but uh he's well thought of he has a very successful outdoor enterprise on the buffalo river uh he seems to be well liked and those are all things that you can't particularly say for stacy hurst so that's one big change uh the governor to be says she's going to be really a salesperson for arkansas and outdoor visitation, which suggested she didn't think we were doing a very good job, which is contrary to what the governor and Stacey Hurst have been saying the last eight years. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, Arkansas has a lot of attractions uh, and has some things to sell, but uh, they're, they're pretty well known. It has a huge advertising budget, and the park system itself is, takes a lot of money to run. So it's a big agency. Uh, with a lot with a lot on its plate and so she she made a move in that direction what's next from her she says she has more to come we shall see she still hasn't said a whole lot specific about policy plans she uh took a few questions for the first time at these news conferences i should say took questions she ignored questions and and one of them was is what she thought about her former boss, Donald Trump's uh, statement that we should set aside the U.S. Constitution to make him president again. Uh, she said, I'm just going to talk about Arkansas, which was a funny thing for her to say after spending her entire campaign talking about Joe Biden almost exclusively and very little about Arkansas. But she's going to do something in education. I'll read that to expand school vouchers tremendously. I'll do something about crime. Read that build more prisons and make people stay in prison longer and she's going to do something about taxes which is cut them drastically and try to windfall for the millionaires so uh what the results of that will mean for the people on the bottom end of the scale uh well we'll see kansas kansas has a lesson to learn and had a lesson to learn in that regard on the tax cutting end and I was talking to Grant Tenniel this week who's just announced that he's not going to stay on as chairman of the Democratic Party and he hopes to bring Laura Kelly, the governor, canvas in for a speaking event for the party later this early next year because she's had to clean up after Sam Brownback's big tax cut in Kansas almost destroyed Kansas education and to the point that even Republicans jumped off Brownback's ship. So a lot, a lot to come, but a lot of it we just don't know yet. Yeah, you hate to think that the Democrats' best hope is for a Kansas scenario. I mean, because that that Kansas is is still digging its way out of that hole and will be for years to come. You don't want to to crater the state's uh, essential services <laughs> to to have reasonable no. 
leadership. No, one thing that one thing that will serve as something of a break on that is the fact that we're currently sitting on a couple of billion dollars in various sorts of surpluses. And so there there is room to move some money around if if an improvident move happens. And I, I do think there are some voices, even in the Republican legislative delegation that that understand they want to end the income tax and, and make the billionaires even richer. They understand it does provide about 60% of the state's revenue, and without it, it'll be hard to support the education system. Uh, before we leave behind, Sanders wanted to make one more note on the, the tourism appointment. She also announced that Suzanne Grubmeyer of Little Rock, who has recently led the Arkansas Parks and Recreation Foundation, would be Mills chief of staff in, in that department. And the Parks and Rec Foundation has existed as a pass-through for Walton money uh, to, to build bike trails at state parks and has been really successful. And I'd say that, I mean, the obviously state parks have a lot going for them just because Arkansas is a beautiful state and years and years of development and promotion of those. But the biggest development in recent years is the Walton spending money in state parks and not just on on those bike trails, but they put in gobs of money, I think over $100 million maybe in the the uh, Delta, what is it, Delta Scenic Byway? Yeah, state yeah Park Delta, or, trail's pretty, Delta Trail is pretty amazing. They've even spent some money in Little Rock of all places, which is not often a beneficiary. And I'm glad you mentioned Suzanne Grubmeyer because when I talked about staff people who would likely have key roles and operations she was specifically who i was thinking about yeah I've, I've done reporting and spent a while talking with her and she's a very reasonable smart person so some hope uh okay well let's move on and and talk about what's going on at the arkansas museum of fine arts uh some a, a good bit of this story was developed while you were out of town by our former colleague and occasional contributor, Leslie Newell Peacock. Right. Well, she, she, uh, I provided some information to her about unhappiness that she developed and, and brought to fruition unhappiness on the part of Ann Bartley, a step stepdaughter of former governor Winthrop Rockefeller, uh, who was very unhappy about things that have happened at the arts center and its reimagination and rebuilding it, under a capital campaign led by billionaire Warren Stevens. Uh, she had given a half million dollars and promised to give a half million more some years ago in return for a promise from the Arts Center to name a permanent gallery in the Arts Center for her mother, Jeanette, who was uh, instrumental in the founding of the Ar- what was then the Arkansas Arts Center and is now the Museum of Fine Arts. Uh, she was told in a, in a fairly curt letter from the current museum director, Victoria Ramirez, that, well, they were going to have a plaque up about her, and that a plaque wasn't exactly what she'd been promised some years before. And so uh, she wrote a letter to Warren Stevens about it and uh, said that she uh, intended to revoke her pledge to provide 500000 more. And best I can tell, really got no response to that till uh, the matter went public in, in Leslie Peacock's story. And after that, they set about uh, doing some some rear covering and some damage control. 
and said, oh, and, and said of these carefully. And, and by the way, Warren Stevens, when asked about this by Leslie Peacock, didn't talk about it and said none of the things that he subsequently said after her story appeared, which was that, oh, we've always intended to name a gallery for her. And then and then on the night after, I guess they put out some BS statement to the Arkansas Democrat following up Leslie's story. They uh, they sent a note to Key Art Center people saying, well, we're going to name several galleries after prominent contributors, including Jeanette Rockefeller. Well, that uh, that apparently didn't assuage Ann Bartley, who did an interview with the Democratic Gazette this week and reaffirmed that she doesn't plan to uh, make that bequest that's been removed from her will and that she's uh, just not happy with the ineptness, as she put it, of, of the leadership and the, the foundation and, and museum doesn't follow good practices and is horribly uh, lacking in transparency. She's very unhappy about the sending out to scrap heap, the standing red sculpture, which was also a tribute to her mother. And it was just ingloriously junked without being telling anybody about it. And they tried to keep it secret for weeks and they don't answer questions. And, and they didn't fully answer my FOI request for information about this. The foundation thinks it answers only to God or Warren Stevens, but not necessarily in that order. And uh, they don't answer the public. And, you know, they, uh, they're, they're a foundation. They don't, they, they're not strictly covered by the FOI, but the problem is this. Victoria Ramirez is a public employee. The museum is a public institution. My understanding of the law is, despite what their lawyer, who's a FOI expert, certainly uh, believes, is, is that any documents the museum director gets in communication from Warren Stevens that is kept in her files is open to the public to see. There's a University of Arkansas case directly on this point involving a contractor that built the dorm up there. You couldn't FOI the contractor's records, but you could FOI the university for any records that they got back from the contractor. And that's what I try to do with the art center. And that's so far what they refuse to do. Ramirez has also refused to even give me one word of response for the record I've sought of, of some things that they've deaccessioned and get and got rid of in the art center collection, such as standing red again. These are things that while they may be owned by the foundation and nominally the foundation doesn't have to say what it sold something for or whatever, they're in the collection of the art center. You know, there's an index of all the holdings at the art center itself. You know that Ramirez is notified and is involved in every decision to get rid of things and to replace things. And so there has to be records that are open to the public, but, uh, until somebody sues them and establishes that, uh, I guess that's going to be official state secret as well. So, and so I, the the problem here is, is they're going to open this new museum in the spring. It looks like a fairly, I mean, it's a $155 million investment and there's an additional investment and in improvements in MacArthur Park. It's going to be a great leap forward for in facilities for the museum. But I, I think, they have managed with a great number of people to send a signal that they're an institution for the elite, not for everybody else. And I, I don't think that's the way you want to be. The great museums of the world, the Metropolitan New York's a good example, certainly lives on curring favor with the elites who have big money that give them a lot of things, but they're also wildly popular, populist institutions that are swarmed with visitors and that are a must-see for anybody making the rounds of great sites in New York City. And the Art Center 
needs to be the same sort of thing to have continued support down through the years. And, and uh, I, I, I just think they've made a PR disaster of handling. Yeah, it's, it should be a real cause for celebration. It, uh, all the plans look spectacular. Yeah, and so and maybe that'll be enough. And maybe when they open and, and they've already announced some events that are going to be kind of splashy. And I mean, I, I don't wish, wish them ill by, by any means, but I, the public has a $35 million stake in, in tax money in the new building. Uh, the city board appoints the members of the board that governs the art center. And, and if that's just a sham, if those people have no say in the operation or the only people that are allowed to be on there are people who also are toadies for Warren Stevens, well, then just name the thing, the goddamn Warren Stevens Art Center, and be done with it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's move on. You are, are back in town this week after several weeks away. Anything Anything happen while you were gone that you want to talk about? I know it all runs together. Well, it, it does kind of all run together. What was it? I just, I just, I just lose. There was something that I got on a tear about early, early this week when I, when I first came back, but I can't, I can't remember now exactly what it is. I, I I'm sorry. I mean, y'all have talked about fact that the Arkansas Supreme Court has made it all but impossible to sue over illegal spending of tax money because they pretty much said it'll take some extraordinary case to award attorney's fees and that was a horrible decision and, and a terrible thing and, and it's a reflection of the Republican influence on the court and we had a case this week in which there was an open and shut case on the state not properly spending some money that was supposedly supposed to be spent for, I guess, the gambling addiction or drug addiction. Well, some, some gambling, some gambling, I think. And uh, the lawyers dropped the suit because they said, we can't, we can't afford to continue the lawsuit because we can't get any money for, for pursuing it. So another one of those things where, well, the state, the state has changed this policy that they were suing over, but had they not sued, I don't think that, policy would have changed. The state says otherwise. I don't believe them on that. And this is the kind of thing that will happen over and over again when you have to depend on people suing people for free. And, and one, of, one of the elements in the, the highway lawsuit where they misspent four, a half a billion dollars, a half a billion dollars. I mean, it was, as, as one of the dissenters said, it was just insanity that this was considered not a substantial victory. Was it at the same time the Supreme Court said they couldn't pay any money to the people who successfully challenged an illegal action by the highway department. They didn't say, but they tacitly approved the fact that the highway department hired outside counsel from the Friday law firm to represent them in the case. So they could use private, they could use state money to pay a lawyer, but, but the people who are challenging an illegal action could not. It's, it's just uh, sort of Alice in Wonderland kind of stuff. All right. Well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? Well, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this because I think you endorsed this book a year ago, but I finally got around to reading The Vapors. Yeah, it's it's fabulous. It is. It's, yeah, it's one of the best one of the best books. I mean, I knew the story of Hot Springs that gambling used to be open there and there were some mobsters that came through and that local government was corrupt and that there were involvement at the state level i mean i kind of knew the general shape of the story but but how deeply 
woven into the fabric of, of Hot Springs was just utter criminality, and, and including by people who are now solid citizens there today, I should say. You know, they're, I mean, Oaklawn Park, which now runs a casino in Hot Springs, I mean, began operating racing kind of in the face of the fact that it wasn't legal in the state at the time. And uh, oh, one of the one of the key operators in the bookmaking ring down there is, is happens to be the father of a very important lawyer involved in those enterprises today. Just, I mean, just the familiar names that came through it was just a just a revelation that and the, and the vapors itself with the Tony Bennett and whoever coming through and entertaining. I, I was I was just I couldn't put it down. It was a fabulous book. Yeah, well. Uh... Uh, Dave Hill, the the authors contributed the Toms, uh, and and is is really I think the smartest uh, writer today on on gam- the g- world of gambling. He writes about everything. He wrote a story about uh, cockfighting in Arkansas several years ago. He's he's uh, done some feature reporting on high stakes chess games. Written a lot about poker. Um, he does the the weekly New York Times um, NFL picks. Uh, oh, for, I didn't I didn't know that was in his portfolio. Yeah, he so it he, up. he's he's worth following on on Twitter. He's also uh, really involved in unionizing efforts, and I I'm pretty sure he's in the fat metal of what's going on with the New York Times uh, right now. So, oh, well, good. good he's, he's, he's he's worth the follow. He's he's a good dude. Um, well, I, I will uh, follow your lead and endorse a book that I'm pretty sure you've also endorsed, or, or maybe it's just a TV show, and that's uh, Mick Heron's Slow Horses. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm late to the party. I think it, it came out a decade or so ago, um, and I haven't quite finished the first book, but uh, it was I think it was written years ahead of Brexit and uh, certainly this, this awful uh, lurch to the right that's happening all over with Western democracies and the plot sort of anticipates both those things and in some ways. Uh, And it's just a really fun spy novel. It's about uh, these folks who, who work for uh, the, the British secret service MI5 and they've all done things to get them booted into this screw up. Yeah. yeah, And into this kind of, um, secondary uh station and they made an apple tv show which i haven't watched since i'm finishing the book but it seems like i remember you endorsing it yeah it was good um and he's got about six or seven books that i'm excited to read so if you like uh, john licker or um you know spy novels i think you'd like this one all right well thanks for listening everybody stay safe out there and we'll be back see you around